So we, you, you all know that we are right, uh, not in the middle, but towards the beginning of Lent. This will be the first, second full week coming up. And each day of Lent, these 40 days between Ash Wednesday and the three days before Easter, um, I am sending out a devotional from Scott McKnight each day of Lent. Uh, and so I really encourage you to sign up for our email list if you'd like to receive those. There's QR codes you can scan with your phone. There's a, there's a, a paper sign-up sheet at the Welcome Center, but we'd love to be able to get those devotionals to you. They've been really, really powerful. And I will say that I'm sending one out a little bit later today, and uh, it's really, really, really good. And I really am looking forward to hearing uh, your thoughts about that later on. So please do sign up early in the day today so you can receive that. Last, last week on Sunday, we, uh, our Day 5 Lent devotional was sent out, which was titled The Divine Dance. I know that uh, for people that don't love flowery language, they might hear that and say, okay, I don't want to hear any more from this sermon anymore. I don't want to hear about dancing and prancing. Now, we have all these weird ideas, but really, a dance is actually, a, it's not just flowery image, it's a beautiful thing. It's when two people that know what they're doing work with each other to make something beautiful, you know? And if you can't, if you don't follow the dance correctly, you step on people's feet and screw the whole thing up. Um, but day, day five devotion was about this divine dance. And the author, Scott McKnight, uh, he is, he, he reshared about a concept I heard in my seminary days uh, from like 10 years ago called the perichoresis. Can you say perichoresis? All right, perichoresis. What this is, it's a theological word that's been historically used to talk about the relational dance of the Trinity, meaning if you put up the Trinity knot, Derek, um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three distinct persons in, unified in one uh, symbol. And this is a symbol of, of the Trinity. You see Father, Son, and Spirit being, being the ovals and the circle, binding them all together. The, the point that theologians have made is that this perichoresis, this dance of, of the Trinity, it, it's, uh, it's perfectly coordinated, perfectly beautiful and, and perfectly precise every time. In fact, it's probably the most uh, precise thing that we could imagine because there is no sin in, the, in, in God. There's no sin in the Trinity. They've been working together as one since before there was time. And so when we look at the, the Trinity, the relational dance of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together uh, through time, uh, then we see really the only pure example in the world, the only sinless pure example of love. Perfect, perfect love. Love for the Father, to the Son, to the Spirit. I'm hoping I can kind of uh, sh shake this out for you a little bit more. But this concept of the perichoresis, the dance, the Trinity will call it the divine dance, it's, it's something that has been, has really changed my view of, of the Trinity, of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. One God and three persons. You know, the Trinity. I've, uh, I've learned that the Trinity, you know, God in three persons, but one, is not supposed to be figured out like a math problem. You know, we look at three and one, and our logical brains say, this doesn't make any sense, and our ears start to smoke, right? But it's not supposed to be solved like a math problem, as if we could solve or explain God. Um, the three and one is not logical. Does everyone know that? It's not logical to say three and one. Instead, when we think of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in this divine dance, we are supposed to think 
not logical, but perfect relationship. Perfect relationship. In fact, as I said before, the Trinity is the only example of a sinless relationship in existence. All of our relationships between us and God, between us and one another, are marred by sin, that we have a sin problem. And even after we become Christians, we still struggle with the flesh. Our spirit is willing, our flesh is weak. So even those beautiful relationships we see in the world, uh, they, they pale in comparison to the Trinity, which is the only example of a sinless, perfect relationship in existence. The Trinity is not meant to be decoded as in figure out how, you, how, how three is one. It's meant to be held up as an example of a perfect relationship. Something we, we can actually model our relationships with one another after. So I, I like to say, it's imperfect math, three and one, but perfect relationship on display for us. I don't think we were ever supposed to understand the Trinity, logically, but instead to model our lives after its, its truth. Um, this is how relationships should be. And we know that every, every relationship besides the Trinity is marred by sin, so it's the only solid example that we can really look at that's perfectly balanced. The Father and the Son and the Spirit work seamlessly together. No one steps on each other's toes. No one lifts themselves above another. They're, they're equal, and, they are, um, and they're working together perfectly uh, for salvation. And it's been that way be from the beginning. I'd like you to think about, you know, human relationships ha have their limitations. Even one of the most holy Christians that we can think about, the Apostle Paul, he had a, in Acts 15, a relational problem with Barnabas, his ministry partner. We're not told all about what that entailed. They had a disagreement that caused them to have to part ways and, and do work in other places. So they, they needed time apart from each other. Even Paul and Barnabas, the apostles, had this a relationship that was marred by sin and dysfunction and some you know, misunderstanding or whatever it might have been. Now, they did come back together later on. We know they reconciled. But even the Apostle Paul had this, had relational problems. The only thing in existence that we can look at that does not have a relational problem is the Trinity. God and three persons, yet mysteriously one. A few weeks ago, I preached about the work of the Holy Spirit. And in that teaching, I talked about how, you know, matter has properties, you know. Uh, we have, you can measure things, length, you can measure the weight of something, um, you can look at the dimensions of something. Matter has properties. Um, but the truth is that spirit also has properties. Spirit also has properties, even though we can't see it. My human spirit, and the spirit of Nathan, we're not talking about the Holy Spirit, the spirit of Nathan, the unholy, sinful spirit of Nathan, uh, has penetrated completely into who I am, so that Everything about me kind of shouts, that's Nathan, from the way he walks, to his silhouette coming down the road, to the sound of my voice, to how I interact with other people. That's, that's Nathan. And someday, you know, when I'm laid out at, at my funeral, they will look at me and they'll say what many people have said before, he's not there. Everything down to the way that I walk and talk and move around is, is penetrated by my spirit. My spirit animates my entire body. The Holy Spirit... Um, is likewise a spirit that can go deep, can, can penetrate us completely. Um, our mind, our hearts, our emotions, our bodies, even our spirit is, is, uh, is, not, is permeable to the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Romans 8.16, it 
that says the Spirit, you know, this is talking about the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's, pretty, that's a pretty deep place of, 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 of access that God can have into our lives. If he can penetrate into our very spirit and then testify with our spirit that we are God's children. You know, the spirit has this property of being able to get in every, anything, uh, go, go, go through and in, through our minds, our hearts, our emotions, our, our uh, personalities, all can be filled with the spirit and, and touched by the spirit to the point that the spirit of God can testify w- inside of our spirit that we are God's children. Hebrews 4.12 is talking about the word of God and uh, it, it talks about the word of God as like a, like a double-edged sword. Penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That's how spirit is. It just, it can penetrate into any, any and every part of our lives. Which is just an amazing thought, because when you think about uh, the, the idea of hope, some people feel hopeless. They feel like, you know, maybe God can forgive me of my sin, but what about the consequences I'm living with? What about the, what about the parts of my life that just don't seem to be redeemable? My, my whole personality is screwed up. I've been walking the wrong way for a long time. What can God possibly do for me? The answer is, the spirit can penetrate into every part of you, including your human spirit and your personality, your body, your mind, your heart, and he can do amazing things. It's an amazing hope. Romans 6 says that the spirit that raised Christ to life lives in you. So the spirit that resurrected Jesus Christ's dead body to life on Easter morning is the same spirit that lives in every believer, and he will also give life to your mortal bodies. This is talking about, of course, the resurrection at the end of the age. We're going to be resurrected by God's Holy Spirit. But that's just the beginning. This is a, that's an extreme example of a dead person coming back to life. The Holy Spirit can penetrate any part of our life anytime he wants, and he can bring life to any part of us, even parts that we thought were, were dead. It's a great hope. The concept of Father, Son, and Spirit, God in three persons, we, we, we said this is the Trinity, three in one. In one of our, our small group meetings, we struggled as a group to talk about the Trinity. Um, everyone struggles with this, because it's not logical, but it is a relational marvel. We, we talked about this idea. Should we think of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit as the three states of water, solid, liquid, and gas? Is that how we're supposed to think about it? It's, it's one substance uh, that's technically water, but then exists in three forms. Uh, we, we thought, is it like, uh, like, an, like a hard-boiled egg? Shell, the white, and the yolk. Is that good ways to talk about God? These are the human ways we try to conceptualize the Trinity. Well, first of all, I don't think it's usually a good idea to compare uh, God to an egg. Um, just seems kind of wrong. Or even to the three solid, the, the, the three uh, types of water. Um, these, these images don't do the Trinity justice. These images uh, represent the human struggle to explain the Trinity logically in front of a world that says this is not logical. The point of the Trinity was never to solve the math equation of three and one. But to, think, but to look at the Trinity as an example of a perfect, sinless, self-giving relationship within God's self, within God's very self. I sent a, a little video to, to my group a couple days after we discussed the Trinity because uh, in, in this little cartoon video, 
the, the person explained how each of, our each of our attempts to explain the Trinity logically ends up in a heresy. So things that people lived and died for in church history to make sure we had like, like accurate theology about God, anytime you try to describe God those, with those logical ways, it falls short. It becomes like an ancient heresy. Because the point was never a logical equation to solve, but a perfect relationship to follow after. The, the Bible insists time and time again that Father and Son and Spirit are one, fully submitted to one another in perfect, sinless, relational dance. Perfectly symmetrical. And it's a dance of love that existed before the beginning of the world. God had this love inside of himself, inside of the Godhead, inside of, inside of God's self, as a perfect, sinless, cooperative dance going on before the world was created. Perfect. God loves the Son and re reveals his will through the Son. God loves the Spirit and pours his love into his people through the Holy Spirit. Jesus loves the Spirit, always talking in his earthly ministry about how it would be better when he leaves because then he will send the Spirit. Each member of the Trinity seems to prefer the other members of, of the Trinity over themselves in this very selfless way. And each aspect of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, perfectly submits to one another. It's the, again, it's the only perfect example of a sinless relationship in existence. How the Trinity works together to accomplish God's will is an example for us of how we are supposed to work together to accomplish God's will. It really surprises people. And it surprised uh, uh, some of the folks in my small group that the Bible doesn't really have one spot where it teaches an explicit idea of the Trinity. You'd think that in Paul's letters he'd say something like, now to your questions about the Trinity, here's how it goes. Father God, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three in one, which we know as the Trinity. But there is no sentence like this in the Bible. There's no definitive verses like that. But the concept is everywhere throughout the scriptures. I'm going to show that this morning. Um, there's no definitive verse that, that teaches that, but from creation to Jesus' baptism, to the Apostle Paul's seemingly interchangeable use of Father, Son, and Spirit in his writings, uh, he, he, he writes, he, he interchanges those words all the time. We can see this deep concept everywhere in the Bible. Three persons in one. Trinity was obviously deeply, deeply rooted in the minds of the people that wrote scripture. Three in one. And they had no problem with it. Of course, they, they weren't worried about the logic of it like we tend to be obsessed with, right? Let's look at a couple examples of the Trinity's dance as, as the Trinity works together perfectly to accomplish God's will as an example for us. Genesis 1, 1 to 5 I described more fully in John 1, 1 to 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's God. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning the first day. Again, we see in verse 3, and God said, let there be light. In 1 John... And John 1, 1 to 5, rather, says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word 
was with God in the beginning. Through the word, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it. So you can see here, all three persons of the Trinity are working perfectly in the situation between these two passages. The Spirit of God, uh, his voice, the, God the Father's voice rings forward, and it says in, in John that that was the Word of God, Jesus Christ. And the Spirit hovered over the waters, bringing order out of chaos. That's God. How about Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3, 16? It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. That's Jesus. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That was the Father's voice. The Trinity working together perfectly. Because the Bible is so careful to, to, to point out the Trinity, it seems very important that we take this concept to heart. Jesus went as far as to say in John 10 that he and the Father were one. And of course, Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. In him were all things created, things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness. God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in the man Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The danger we are trying to avoid as we look at this, 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 this dance of the Trinity and this relational um, thing that we're beholding in, in God's self, we're trying to avoid this tendency that people have to, uh, to separate the members of the Godhead to the point that we're so confused that we don't know which end is up. We, we look at God one way, then we look at Jesus another way, we look at the Holy Spirit another way, and we separate these things out, and, we, and as a result, we get confused and we don't know can I, can I come to God? I know I can come to Jesus. Can I come to God? I know that, uh, I, know I, can, I know I can ask God for more of him in my life. Can the Lord of the Holy Spirit be a part of my life? No, these things are not uh, separate. They're one. The Bible insists that God is one. It's foundational. We've been reading in our, in our uh, Lenten devotionals the, what they call the Jesus Creed in Mark 12, 29 to 31. When they asked Jesus, what is the most important law. The most important one answered Jesus is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Very careful to point out God is one. Uh, early Christians were persecuted for believing in one God. Christians and Jews were persecuted by their pagan neighbors who said you only have one God? That's ridiculous. We have like hundreds of gods. So one of the things pr Christians were persecuted for was actually believing that God is one in the beginning. It was so strongly believed the, the three in one. And scripture encourages us not, not to misstep and begin to think of God as being a different kind of God than Jesus or the Holy Spirit to be a different kind of God than God. 
God is Jesus. Jesus is God. The Spirit is, is the Spirit of Christ. It's not simple. It's not logical. But it is relationally something that we can look to as a perfect example of working together in unity. So the question with all this, this kind of theology, these kind of thoughts about the Trinity, um, you might be asking yourself, what's the big deal with this? Why is it so important? And the answer is because God is love. The scriptures say that God is love. Therefore, Jesus is love, and the Holy Spirit is love, and the Father is love. Love must be vulnerable, must be submitted to the welfare of the other. Love, by its very nature, is self-giving, self-sacrificing. And in the Trinity, we see what theologians have described as this dance of mutual submission in our lives. The Son, the Father, and the Spirit working together perfectly, um, submitting to the will of one another time and time again. You know, Jesus submitted to the Father's plan in the Garden of Gethsemane to great, at, at great cost. He submitted to the Father's plan to give his life on the cross, to turn God's just wrath away from the darkness of human sin and depravity. The Spirit submitted to Jesus' plan to indwell believers after Jesus' ascension, which happened during Pentecost. And the Father submitted his rightful wrath towards sin to the perfect work of his Son on the cross, turning all wrath and anger away from, from those who love and accept Jesus as their Savior. Um, the dance of the Trinity, this perfect mutual submission, uh, mutual service, mutual love, mutual vulnerability within God himself, within God himself. And men and women are made in the image of God. We're supposed to also be working this way with one another. We have to reject this idea of God the Father, and Jesus the Son, and the Spirit being three different gods, three different personalities, and come to accept the mystery of the three-in-one. Because um, in the Trinity, we see the only example, the only perfect example of self-giving love as God's, God submits to the Son, the Son submits to God, the Spirit submits to Jesus. Again, a perfect picture. The amazing thing about all this is what we end up reading in 1 John, where we see that God, the Trinity, the three-in-one, has invited you and me to join into this coordinated dance that's within them. Imagine that, God inviting you into himself, into his very personality. So listen from 1 John. As the Father, the Son, and the Spirit invite you into this relationship with them and with other people who God has made. Listen to this. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Love comes from God, the Trinity. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, his love is made complete in us. What is this talking about? This is talking about God inviting us into the love that the Trinity shared before the foundations of the world. This is, and this is how... Uh, we are told to love one another. 
If we love one another, people that can't see God can see the love of God made manifest and complete in us. This is how we, we know that we live in God and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we rely and know, know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. And this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. In John 15, Jesus said this to his disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, for the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last. And so, that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Can you hear what these pastors are calling us to from, from God himself, from the Holy Spirit, from Jesus? These scriptures are inviting us in to the very love that God shared among himself in the beginning. And God is inviting us into himself and asking us to bring a friend or an enemy with us. That's what God is, God is doing. He's, just as God loved Jesus, Jesus loved us. And just as Jesus loved us, we are to love others. And then they are to, they are to come to know the love of God through us, copying um, what we see in the Trinity and showing that love to other people. Jared Wilson wrote in his book, Unparalleled, a quote that I thought was very useful. It says, sacrificial love is the ultimate love. Now imagine that the one who is love himself sacrificed himself. Imagine that the one who is love himself sacrificed himself. Imagine that the eternal loving fellowship of the divine community or trinity sent out one of their own to die, not just for their friends, but for enemies. Why would this loving fellowship do this? To make the enemies friends, of course. And this is precisely what God has done. The second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, takes on flesh and comes to die, that he who is true light might show true love and give love and transform by true love, that we might finally know true love. It's for this reason that it could be said, Trinity and gospel have the same shape. This is because the good news of salvation is ultimately that God opens his Trinitarian life to us. 
every time that we, that we engage with God theologically, thinking about God, you know, I, I find it's very tempting to separate Father from Son and from Spirit, but the Bible insists that all three are one. And this is not meant to appeal to our logic, but to our relational sensibilities. As he's loved us, so we are to love one another. In our book, Gentle and Lowly, where all this kind of started from in my mind, um, Dane Orland says, a correct understanding of the triune God is not that of a father whose central disposition is judgment and a son whose central disposition is love. The heart of both the father and the son is one and the same. This is, after all, one God, not two. Theirs is a heart of redeeming love, not compromising justice and wrath, but beautifully satisfying justice and wrath. God is love. Jesus is love. The Spirit is love. God is one. God loves us. Jesus loves us. The Spirit loves us. As as much as that might sound strange to say to yourself, Jesus loves you, the Spirit loves you, and God loves you. And God invites you to love like he does to follow the perfect example that he had in himself from the beginning of time. Perhaps the greatest test of our love is to love our brother and then to love our enemy. These are the things that Jesus is constantly talking about. To love like the Trinity is to sacrifice oneself for the good of another, which the Bible calls the greatest love in John 15. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. If you love others in this way, you know God, and God knows you. And the Holy Spirit fills you, and Jesus has your heart. If you do not love your brother or sister whom you have seen, it's questionable whether you know God, who is unseen. Because God, our three-in-one God, is love in himself. He is love, perfect love. So I invite you this morning to, to open yourselves up to the, to the relational dance of this trinity, been going on before the foundations of time. Three person in one, three three persons in one perfect unity. And as you open yourselves up to this invitation to join into God's dance, I would just point out to you to follow what Scripture says, asking God to fill you with His Holy Spirit.